There is a parking lot in Austin, Texas that I, I will never forget. It's been seared into my mind and my heart. There's a parking lot off Mopac and 2222, and I'm sitting there, and there's an unmarked building, and people just slowly filing in. And there I am in what I thought was my big-time fancy car, and I'm walking pe watching people walk into an AA meeting. And I'd never been to an AA meeting before. I'd called earlier and I said, hey, when, when is the next meeting? I think I may have a problem. And I'm sitting there in my car with it still running. And there's a war for my soul at that point. I'm like, everything in me is like, put it in reverse. Go to the bar and numb this pain. You can make all this go away. And the other thought that was going through my mind were this like flood of accusations of like, hey, you were dealt a good hand in life. Good family, good upbringing, you had a good education, and look where you are now. What have you done with your life that you're walking into an AA meeting? You're an alcoholic, you've ruined everything. And as I think about how I got there, like, like how did this happen? I remembered something from high school. It was an acrostic that I used to use. It was NCE. I was like, hey, I would tell my friends, this is, this is NCE. And what it stood for is this is a no consequence environment. Like we're safe. Everything's fine. Nobody's gonna get hurt. We can do what we wanna do. No one's gonna find out. We all trust each other. And so no one's gonna drive. Everything will be fine. There is a no consequence environment right here. And I believed that lie. I believed that lie because I, I didn't experience the fallout of sin in that moment. But here I am 12 years later, sitting in the parking lot of my first AA meeting, doctors telling me, if you keep drinking, you will die, losing everything, living on a fraternity brother's couch. And I realized like, oh, there, there is consequence. But that was the lie that I believed, is that there is a no consequence environment regarding sin and that somehow I could escape the penalty and the fallout of sin. And I think all of us do the same thing on a daily basis. We're faced with these lies of like, well, what would it hurt? And it's only a little, and it's not as bad as that. And nobody's gonna know, and there could be worse things. And at least it's not what I used to do. And I think there are these small lies that we hear in our mind to justify our sin. We, we rationalize and justify the sin and then we minimize the fallout of it. And we think like, well, I mean, it, it'll be okay. There's grace for that. And it's not gonna catch up with me. I'm doing a lot better than I used to. And it's a lie from Satan to destroy us. And I believe that if we don't repent and wake up it won't be long before this will be a, a bad dream that we're living in from the sin. And so to navigate this life heavenward, what we have to grow and, and what I hope to grow in all of us today, myself foremost, is a hatred for sin and a recognition and a reality of the lie and the liar, Satan, and of the holiness of God that he calls us to. And so today we are continuing our made series and today it is made for a different world. That right now that this world we live in, I was praying earlier with, with everyone who's serving right now, cameras and switches and everything. And I was, as I was praying, I'm like, we are, we are, he remembers that we are dust. And I was praying, we're dust 
commingled with spirit in this like, this is just not home. And it's not as it should be. But there is a heavenly home where he's going to remove the presence and power and penalty of sin. And so as we walk heavenward, we have got to be mindful of this, that we're walking through a war zone laden with traps with a very real enemy who is feeding our flesh to take us away from God. And so today we're gonna be talking about Satan, and you're gonna see this in the order of the text. Satan, temptation, sin, and then the trap of sin and shame. It's gonna be a real pick-me-up. but that we would quit believing and acting upon Satan's lies and instead foundationally stand on God's truth, that we would quit taking the bait, as I did for all those years and I'm still tempted to. Today we're gonna be going through Genesis 3, 1 through 7. And here's the preview, this is the roadmap. Excuse me, allergies are lighting me up right now. Here's the preview, is that Satan, and you're gonna see this throughout the passage, Satan Satan gets us to question God's instruction. Did God really say? To question God's instruction. Then he's going to get us to understate the consequence of sin. It's not that bad. Thirdly, he's gonna get us intrigued by sin's offerings, the, the, the goodness, the poisonous, the delight of it, intrigued by it, and then finally to be trapped in sin and shame. That's the progression of the verse. It's the progression of every sin cycle that we walk through in our life. Verse one, this is question God's instruction. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He, the serpent, said to the woman, Eve, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Now right there, he's already crafty. He knows God didn't say that. He's pitting Eve against God. He's already like laying the trap and starting this dialogue. Now you gotta think for a second, like wait, wait, what, who? Because in the biblical narrative here within Genesis, there's no mention of Satan until we get this serpent who's crafty. And so, Everything would be different right now today if in that moment Eve would have been like, wait, 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 wait. Hey, hey, Adam, Adam, have you talked to any of the animals? He'd be like, no. Lion, what's up? He'd be like, roar. Sheep, bah. No, Eve, no, they don't talk. What are you talking about? Why are you even asking this? Well, I was just, I was, um, the serpent just talked to me. Like, no, 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 Eve, Eve, get away. Like, they don't talk. None of them talk. They all have sounds. They don't talk. That's different. God talks. The animals shouldn't be talking. Something's up. Everything would have changed right then and there. But isn't life just like that? Like, everything's fine until it's not fine. And it happens at this imperceivable rate. Like, Eve's not in that moment like, hold up, that's suspicious, to, to demonstrate this, I wanna tell you something really personal, actually. So three, I don't know, it's, it's a little bit of a blur because of young kids, but about three years ago, maybe, I left Laura and the kids. And I went to a, a patio. No one, I, was, I was literally alone by myself. It was sunny, kinda of when, when springtime just hits and it's warm enough to sit outside that it's kinda of cool, but you can feel the sun. And I'm sitting on a patio all by myself, just drinking through the afternoon. It was a Sunday, actually. And I just got wasted. 
And it felt so good to just escape the pressure and peace that I had, even though poisonous, the peace. And it was a daydream. Everything was fine until it wasn't fine. I was on a road trip, three kids in the back, fussing, struggling. Truth of the matter is, I haven't had a sip of alcohol in 17 years. But it was a daydream. I'm just driving beside Laura. She's sitting right there. And as I'm looking through the windshield, just with the hum of the highway, where I go, and I can see it still in my mind's eye, is a patio getting drunk. Like, man, I could just, like, I would love to just be alone, not have fussing kids, the stress, the pain of whatever I'm gonna walk into and, and work and all the pressure, I just wish I could numb out on a patio. I'm literally driving, family in tow, 14 years sober, daydreaming about getting wasted. And everything was fine until it wasn't. I had started listening to a talking serpent who was whispering lies into my mind. Who is this crafty serpent? Where is it, he from? We get a little bit of clue and context um, further on in the Bible. Isaiah 14, it says in verse 13, you, speaking of Satan, said in your heart, I, there's five I will statements. I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will, listen, make myself like the most high. Satan's desire to be like God. And then in Ezekiel 28, verse 13, 14, and 17, listen. You were the signet of perfection, full wisdom, and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Verse 14, you were anointed guardian cherub. I placed you on the holy mountain of God. Verse 17, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. And then in Revelation 12, we know that the ancient dragon, the serpent who leads astray the entire world was cast down. So here he is in the garden. He is the twisting serpent who twists truth. He's the father of lies, the enemy, the accuser, the adversary is the word for Satan. Hashatan, the adversary. Later on, we'll see the accuser, the one who accuses the brethren day and night before the throne of God. And what's his motive? His motive is to destroy. His motive is to kill. He wanted to be like God, and because he couldn't, he's after God's creation. Like, okay, if I can't be like you, then I will kill those who love you. Your creation, I'll get them to worship me, I'll lead them astray, and I'll take them in my wake to hell. You want them, I'll take them with me. Like a suicide bomber. I'm going out and I'm taking them with me. He can't steal salvation, so he's content to wreck generations. Once you're Jesus's, once you belong to the Lord, it says no one can snatch you out of his hand. And so if you were in Christ and have escaped the penalty of hell forever because of your sin, then Satan's like, all right, then I'll just destroy you and the generations following. Yesterday, I was uh, feeding a rat peanut butter. It's not what it sounds like. <clears throat> we had, a, a, our garage was getting full of stuff and so I dropped down the attic door and I'm carrying these like trunks and Tupperware, what are they called? Yeah, I don't know, the plastic bins. <clears throat> Up there into the attic and man, face down in peanut butter is this rat. And I had fed it the peanut butter 
and led it to the peanut butter and it died in that peanut butter. And that is what Satan wants. He's like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll give you what you want because it's you that I want. I want you dead. So I'll give you what you want. What is it? What is it you want? You want money? You want status? You want porn? How about some great fulfilling sexual sin? What about control? You want worship? You want followers and likes? I'll give it to you. And he will have you face down in it, dead. The wages of sin is death. It's his desire. And so God wants obedience unto holiness. Satan wants your obedience unto destruction. God wants you to live by his spirit. Satan wants you to live by your flesh. God wants you to be saved. Satan wants you to be depraved. God wants worship through spirit and truth. Satan wants your worship through sin and idols. And here's the curious thing, like he's in Genesis three, right there, he's Satan. Like no mistaking it, Genesis three, plain as day, crafty serpent, leads astray, and then you're like, oh, where'd he go? Genesis four, five, six, where is he? Where'd he go? You know he doesn't show up again until uh, Job is when he comes again? Chronicle, first Chronicles, you know how far that is into the Old Testament? And Leviticus mentions demons, not even Satan. And he's just like, I did my work. I sowed my seed of sin. I've infected the human race. And not long after, they're gonna be killing each other, Cain and Lamech, the evil, all humans, minds set on evil all the time. Every inclination, like, got it, work's done. This thing has been set in motion. It's a flywheel, perpetual sin. Spike the ball. He just shows up on occasion when God pulls back the curtain to let us know what's going on. He's there. He was there inciting Cain to kill Abel. He's there in every moment of temptation. But isn't that just like him to let us not have him within his view and just think, well, that was just my thought. That was me thinking about getting wasted. I, man, I'm such a, such a fool. But rather Satan fueling my flesh to get me to think about these things. I have a doctor sometimes that I'll visit in the neighborhood who's, who's Jewish, and I'm sharing the gospel with him, explaining to him like, hey, heaven, hell, Jesus is the only way. And he's like, I don't really believe in evil. And I'm like, you don't believe in evil? As a, as a Jew foremost, like the Holocaust, I would think you would believe in evil. He's like, ah, oh, those are just man's constructions. And I'm like, well, no, that was, I mean, Satan is at work. He's like, Satan doesn't even exist. And I was like, you know Satan's in the, in the Hebrew scriptures, right? In the Jewish scriptures. He's like, well, my rabbi never talks about Satan. I'm like, well, uh, you might need a new rabbi because he's in Genesis, he's in Job, he's in Zechariah chapter three, he's in Ezekiel and Isaiah. Like Satan, he, he's there in your scriptures. And he looks at me, he's like, he goes, why would he never have told me that? I know why. Because Satan doesn't want you to think he even exists. Poof. He's there and he's at work. God's always at work and so is Satan. He's a covert killer. Satan questions Eve regarding God's instruction. We are to, he, he, his, he's getting us to question God's instruction. This is a no consequence environment. Even though I had been told sin leads to death and he's like, no, it doesn't. You won't experience any consequences. Watch, you'll get drunk. You're not gonna die. Get high, you're not gonna die. Look at porn, you're not gonna die. Steal, lie, you're not gonna die. Feel prideful. There's no consequence. 
But you can't know God's way without knowing God's word. You, you can't know the mind of God as Satan or your flesh or the world questions you apart from knowing the word of God. And so Eve responds, not a good idea. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, the middle. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. I need to say something here. Uh, You've seen the movie The War Room? It's about prayer. It's an awesome movie. Except for this one part. There's this one part where the old lady who's just a prayer warrior, and I am not talking about not being that, but at some point she starts walking through her house and she's talking to Satan. And she's, she's literally like speaking out loud to Satan. We are never, like Eve's doing it right here and she never should have. She'd have been like, hold up. I talked to God and Adam. Like I don't talk to you. In Zechariah chapter three and in Jude, it's the same prayer. It says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. We don't engage in a dialogue with him. Rather, we call upon the Lord to rebuke him. So, sidebar there. Eve responds well enough. So God gives this instruction to Adam in chapter two. He's passed it along to Eve at some point in time. And even went a little further and is like, hey Eve, not only don't eat it, don't even touch it. Like it's not worth it. And so that's what she's recounting to him. But the tempter persists. And because he persists, now you've got to know the truth in order to discern the lie. You've gotta know like, okay, what, what is God's word? Because I'm talking to this talking snake and he seems to know some stuff. So which one's true? How do I know what's true? Y'all ever played two truths and a lie? Anybody ever played that game? We're gonna play it this morning. Two truths and a lie. This could go horrible, but I'm gonna try it. You're gonna get to raise your hand for whatever you think is the lie, not yet. Here's, here's uh, three things. One, I've been shot by a shotgun. Two, I have a really, really bad tattoo. And three, I used to be a bartender on 6th Street in Austin, Texas. Okay, what do you believe is the lie? There's two truths, there's one lie. What do you believe is the lie? Hands up for you've been shot with a shotgun. Okay, some hesitancy there. Gotta be sure, you gotta be sure, go all in. Don't raise your hand twice, I see you there. Uh, second, what was the second one? Oh, I have a really bad tattoo. You're like, oh, it's that because you just hesitated. Suckers. <laughs> Three, used to be a bartender in Austin. Let's see those hands. No, I would have drank all the product. I was not a bartender in Austin. Blake just raised his hand because he knows. <laughs> oh, that's great. He just said, I've seen the tattoo as well, in case you didn't hear that up in the balcony. Uh, and he regrets it. it is, is a, I've got a parking lot seared in my brain. He's got a bad tattoo. Oh, uh, man. That'll just train wreck my whole thought. So, but you've got to know me in order to know the truth. I mean, there was a third of you who raised your hand for a total lie. Like, oh, you're a bartender in Austin. I'm like, no, I wasn't. I was their greatest patron. I was the patron saint of Peyton Center of 6th Street, but you didn't know, so you raised your hand. Because that's exactly what it is with God. We are filled and saturated with lies, and in order to spot the lie, we've got to know the truth. And apart from knowing the truth of God, we won't know the way of God, and thus we're gonna be led astray by the lies of Satan. Like two truths and a lie, all day, every day, ad nauseum, on repeat, 
with every thought that goes through your mind, every advertisement you see, everything on social media, the temptations that Satan whispers to know the truth of God so that you can reject and never raise your hand for the lie of Satan. So the question I wanna ask you are what are the dark thoughts that you have? Like me driving that day, just, just daydreaming about getting wasted in the afternoon, what's your dark thought? We've all got them. Lust, insecurity, critical spirit, Suicide, self-harm, hate, bitterness, resentment. What's the dark thought? And then also how to combat the dark thought. You combat, you combat the dark thought by bringing it into the light. You know what I did seconds later after, uh, minutes later. So I'm daydreaming, five minutes, getting drunk. Kids, Laura. And I finally was like, hey, babe, I got, I got to tell you something. Um, she's like, okay, what's up? And I was like, for the last five or 10 minutes, I, all I've been doing is thinking about getting drunk. Like I've just been thinking about drinking, being alone, not being with you and the kids. And her response, she was like, oh, sweetheart, that's death. That was death to you before, it would be death to you again. That's a lie, it never brought about any good. Thank you so much for telling me. There was no shame or condemnation. I was met with this like love and infusion of light and truth that just shattered that nightmare daydream. And I stopped having it because things die in the light. Satan wants us to question God's instruction. Second, Satan understates sin's consequences. He understates sin's consequences. Here it is, verse four. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You'll be like God. Does that sound familiar? That sounds like the five I will statements that we just read from Isaiah 14. That was Satan's desire. He's leading them astray by being like, oh, that's what I wanted. I know I can get them. That's, that's like the greatest the pent ultimate, like if you can be like God, then you don't need anything else. So let me just tell him, hey, hey, you'll be like God. That's what, he's holding out on you. No, 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 he's not protecting you. He's holding out on you. He wants Eve, he wants us to doubt God, both his instruction and his intent. To doubt the instruction like, no, no, you're not gonna die, and to doubt his intent. Oh, no. I mean, even if you were to die, the only reason why he's saying that, why he's going so big, like, hey, you're gonna die, is because he knows you'll be like him. No, it's his heart. It's a heart problem. This is Satan's archetypal lie structure. Doubt the, doubt the instruction, doubt the heart and intent of God. So first, it's no consequences. That's what he says. You'll not surely die. I remember when I was a kid, I went to youth group, and they said, hey, sin leads to death. <clears throat> I don't know if it was my own, like, fallen state or Satan's lie, but here's here is the lie that I heard in that moment. Sin leads to death. I'm like, no, it doesn't. That's a scare tactic by a youth pastor. Nobody's dropping dead because of sin. That's just not true. There's not consequences to this. Like I can, if nobody finds out, I'll be fine. There's no consequences. I was like, nah. And then probably 15 years later, I had a shotgun in my head with doctors telling me I was dying of alcoholism. Sin leads to death. The instruction here, when you think like, there's not consequences, like nobody's gonna find out. This isn't gonna catch up with me. A little cheating on my taxes, a little extra I'll take home from work, 
a little laziness at work, which is stealing also, time, no one's gonna find out. The no consequence, you just gotta play the tape forward. Roll the tape. Be like, okay, all right, Satan's telling me right now, my flesh, my mind is telling me right now there's not gonna be a consequence, let's, let's play the tape forward. Like, what's gonna happen if this continues? If I become a porn addict, if I become an alcoholic, if I become a control freak, if I become so fearful of every single circumstance and the crushing weight upon them rather than taking them to God, like, just play it out. It's the instructions of Romans 6.21. It says, what benefit, Paul, Paul plays the tape. He says, what benefit did you reap from the things you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. He's asking us by the Spirit, play the tape. Like, I know you're tempted. I am too, Romans 7. So let's just roll this forward. What benefit did you ever get from it? What benefit did you ever get from a fifth of scotch on a Friday night? No, play the tape. And the second thing, that God's instructions are wrong. I heard also in a kid, as a kid, probably same youth group, there was freedom in Christ. And I'm like, no, there's not. There's not freedom in Christ. It's anything but freedom. He's keeping me from doing everything I wanna do. He's like a cosmic hall monitor. There's no freedom. Until at 30 years old, I was a slave to alcohol. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is what they were talking about. I didn't know I was a slave to sin. Of course I need freedom in Christ. But I didn't know I needed that until I realized I was enslaved to it. Satan deals with FOMO. You're missing out. If you don't get to do that, you're gonna be missing out. And God's not trying to keep you free. He's trying to keep you from fun, which is the lie that I believe. He's not, he's not interested in your freedom. He's interested in you having less and less fun. That's what he wants to keep from you. And so Eve takes the bait. She's like, oh, wait, I'll be like God? And I think that we think the exact same thing every time we sin. Like some of it's like, I read this and I'm like, man, that's pretty messed up. Like Eve, I mean, man, Yahweh God walking in the garden? And she's like, nah, nah. I mean, it's a coup. It's more of a coup than a fall. Where she's like, no, I don't wanna serve you. I wanna be like you. I'm gonna be your equal. I'm coming after you. And only you told me not to eat it. I'm gonna eat it. I'm gonna be like you. I'm gonna rule with you, maybe above you. And it seems pretty like messed up until we realize like, oh, I do that every time I sin. Every time I sin, I'm saying I wanna be like God. I am going to understate sin's consequences and I'm gonna be like God. He's telling me not to look at or do or think or wish or act upon. I'm like, nah, I call the shots. In this area, at this time, you can have my eternity. I'll go to heaven when I die. But right now, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. Thanks for the instruction. Appreciate it, but I'm calling, I'm calling the shots today in this area with my dating, with my money, with my neighbor. I'm gonna call the shots here, God. I'm gonna be like you. I'm not gonna answer to you. I wanna be like you. We go for the shortcut. I decide right or wrong. And so the question that I have for you right now in your honest heart, what is something through God's word or conviction of the Holy Spirit that God has said no to that you still wanna pursue? What is something God has said no to that you're still wanting to pursue? And like, we don't come here for information, we come here for transformation. And so these questions that I'm asking, wrestle with them. Open your phone and take down a note. Write something in the margin of your Bible. For Eve, it was the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. For us, it may be life plans, sexual desire, finances, justice, revenge, and then how do you combat it? What I would offer to you is 
the phrase when it's raining cats and dogs. You've heard the phrase, right? It's raining cats and dogs. Uh, the origins, etymology of the phrase, they say it came from Edinburgh. So think like old British 1600s, 1500s, bad sewer systems, bad drainage. They're still like taking their, you know, bedpans and throwing them out the window, just filth, rampant. And after a torrential downpour, because they didn't have great sewage systems, the stray dogs and cats would live in these pipes and tunnels and gullies. And so when there was a large downpour, the cats and dogs would drown. You're like, man, we're talking a lot, a lot of dead animals, the dead rat, the dead cat and dog. Uh, and then after the rain, they would come out into the streets of Edinburgh and be like, my goodness, look at all these dead cats and dogs. Because it looked like God had just rained down cats and dogs. That's the phrase, raining cats and dogs, that it rained so hard that it filled and flushed out all the filth of the underlying sewage system. And what I would offer to you when you start to understate sin's consequences is what I would call spiritual displacement. Spiritual displacement, that you flood in the thoughts and things of God and it displaces the filth that is within that it just pushes it out. It doesn't fight against it, it pushes it out. All that death just floods it out, spiritual displacement. I remember um, I was, before I was married, single in seminary, I think I'm in my like, third or fourth semester of Greek. I mean, I can picture myself sitting in the room, I'm staring at the professor, Dr. Fanton, and I, a lustful thought goes through my mind. Y'all, we're, we're, we're learning to read the scriptures in the original language, and I'm thinking about a lustful thought. And in that moment, rather than be like, no, 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 like, get back to Greek, get back to Greek. Instead, I was like, I just start praying in the middle of class, and down came the floodwaters of God, and out went the filth of the lust. It's spiritual displacement. That's how we combat Satan's lies of him understating the consequences of sin. Because lust and holiness can't coexist. Pride and humility can't coexist. They, they're repellent to each other. So you bring in the things of God and it flushes out the flesh and the lies of Satan. So you think prayer, scripture memory, Bible, worship music, even just talking to another believer. Satan wants us to question God's instruction. He wants us to understate sin's consequences. And thirdly, he wants us to be intrigued by sin's offering. Here's the intrigue. So now he's like got Eve to doubt and question. Now he's moved her into a place of temptation. Like, no, no, you're not gonna die. And then he just kinda, he like, he like kinda just steps, steps back. He's like, just, just gaze upon it. Just see what you see. What do you see? That's what I think I see. What do you see? Verse six, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was also to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave also some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. At this point, and at every point in our life, and it is a daily, hourly, minute by minute crossroad, but at this point, for Eve, desire beat out devotion. Desire beat out devotion, which is what happens every time when the temptation lies before us. It's like, all right, devotion to God, desire the flesh. Devotion of God, desire the flesh. Devotion of God, desire the flesh. What am I gonna do, what am I gonna do, what am I gonna do? And if you try to wrestle that on your own, 
desire of the flesh wins every time. But rather you bring God into the fight, Galatians 5.16. If you walk by the Spirit, you stay close to God, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Desire beat out devotion. And we've got to keep it. The devotion is beating out desire. And isn't it ironic? Like God said, hey, you can eat of any tree in the garden except that one. And out of all the trees, here's Eve staring at this tree like, yeah, but what, well, why not this one? He's like, you'll die. Yeah, but you'll die. Uh, Eve, there's all the other trees. Yeah, but, and we do the exact same thing. God's like, hey, I've given you life. I've given you adoption through the Father, by the Son, the blood of the Son, now indwelt by the Spirit. I've given you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. I've given you the body of Christ to walk through this life with. I've given you life, breath, and everything else for a life of holiness. I've given you my word. I've given you daily bread. I've given you shelter. And we're like, yeah, I know, but what? <laughs> but he's like, you'll die. No, you'll die. And we're like, yeah, I know, I know but, but really will I? And we do the exact same thing. We see that, yeah, but, but it looks good and it's desirable and I think it would actually help me. Judd does this in our house, our, our four-year-old. He'll literally come up, I mean, on the daily. He'll walk up to Laura. She's like, hey, buddy, what's wrong? And he'll be like, mom, I'm bored. <laughs> Y'all, we could start a toy company out of our house and Laura probably will. She sells everything. But like, <laughs> If it's not nailed down, it is up for sale. Uh, but he, he does not have a toy problem, he has a heart problem. And we tell him that, like, hey Judd, we have toys for you. What you have right now is a heart issue. You just need to go be creative. You need to go play. He doesn't have a toy problem, he has a heart problem. And it's the same with us. Every time we're enticed by sin, it's not a need problem. It's a heart problem. It's a me problem, that I'm not content. It says in 1 Timothy 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. You will suffer no loss. You won't be lacking for whatever tree of temptation is in your life, because you'll be content with the things of God. Not a toy issue, it's a heart issue. And all sin's desirable at some level or we'd never do it. Like it's gotta be desirable at some level. It's gotta be, there's gotta have this like twist of good or we'd never do it. Like if it was all bad, we'd be like, no thanks. If you ever go to Brahms with, uh, with our family, here's what'll happen on the way home. Laura and I will get in the car and the kids are so satisfied, they're so happy. And then one of us will look at each other and be like, sin. And the reason why we say it, not because ice cream is sinful, although Blake's probably like, it is sin, because you didn't eat Bluebell. It's sin because it's like, it's so good in the moment, and then the second it's done, you're like, why did I just eat a double dip Rocky Road? Like, why did I do that? I, I, I had no benefit from that. Like, all I feel now, I'm gonna get a headache or a migraine because of the sugar intake. Like, why did I do that? because it was good in the moment, and then I'm just left with the consequences of like, man, I need to eat healthier, that was a stupid decision. It's just like sin, good in the moment, and then you're just left with it. And Eve had some of the fruit, and from that fruit has come every murder, every lie, every lust, every adultery, every control, every fear, from a bite of fruit. I told you it was gonna be a pick-me-up. 
And then what's going on with Adam eating it? You know, they talk about the passivity of Adam, but whatever it was, it couldn't have been sin because we're told in 1 Timothy that Eve was the one who sinned first. So whatever he was doing as he was standing and watching, maybe it was like horror, maybe it was curiosity, I don't know what it was, but somehow whatever it was wasn't sin, but what was sin was when she took it and gave it to him and then he ate of it. And I think we also, there's a parallel there within the verse because we do the same thing. We, someone gets led astray by a lie of Satan, then they partake of it from their desires of the flesh, and then we justify our actions by theirs. We're like, I mean, everybody kind of lives in this state of materialism and greed, and so, I mean, it could be worse. And I mean... It's this everyone's doing it thing that we have to tell our children. They're like, but so-and-so gets to. And I'm like, that's great, we don't. And there's a level of, hey, that's great, we don't as children of God, like in the household of God, that as the world does all this, we're like, but they get to. We're like, because the holiness of God and the sinfulness of sin, we don't. There's certain things that we say no to and we don't partake. This is the source code of every sin In 1 John 2.16, it says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, so jump back to Genesis 3, that's good for food. Desires of the flesh, Eve saw that it was good for food. The desires of the eyes, she said that it was a delight to the eyes. And the pride of life, this is desire to make one wise. Like, wait, I I I can be more than who I am right now because this sin is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world with its desires is passing away. The passage continues. There's the source code, those three things that will find the root of every fruit of sin that Satan offers to you. I sometimes will call them pleasures, measures, and treasures. Pleasures of the flesh, treasures of the eyes, measures of pride, like, ah, I'm better than them. Or or a self-deprecating, like, ah, I'm such a loser, which is the shadow side of pride. Still thinking a lot of yourself. And so how do we combat this? How do we combat the desires of the flesh? We are intrigued by sin's offerings. Here's how. You never grocery shop when you're hungry. If grocery stores truly loved us, when I got to Trader Joe's, there would be a guy at the door, and he'd be like, hey, bro, come here. It'd be like Costco. You couldn't get in unless you talked to the guy at the door. He'd be like, come here, come here. Hey, so tell me how many. He'd be like, how many what? Like, how many calories? Calories of what? How many calories have you had today? And if I was like 2,000, he'd be like, welcome, come on in, come on. Hey, have a good time shopping. If I got to that door and he was like, how many? I was like, oh, bro, I had some coffee. Did you put anything in it? No, it's black. Okay, zero calories. What'd you have for lunch? I skipped lunch. I had a lot of meetings. Okay, you need to come back. Go get an Egg McMuffin. Don't come in here hungry, bro. You can't come in here hungry. You know what you're gonna buy? You're gonna buy pork dumplings. You're gonna buy pumpkin cinnamon tortilla chips. Like, you're gonna, you're gonna be susceptible to everything. You know that sour cream popcorn? You're gonna buy five bags. You don't want that, man. You're gonna get home. Your wife's gonna be like, why'd you do that? You gotta get out of here. You can't shop hungry. And spiritually, we can't either. You cannot walk through this world. God's at the door like, you filled up? Have you had enough? Because here's the axiom. Only the full, spiritually satiated, only the full resist the pull. Only the full resist the pull. You've gotta be filled up on the things of the spirit before you walk out into the world with all flesh offerings, the temptations of the world, and Satan wanting to 
have your face down in peanut butter, dead. So you gotta be filled up. Only the, you know this, you've gone grocery shopping and you come home with all the stuff. It's the same thing, do not walk out into that world until you're filled up. That is how you combat the desires of the flesh. So here it is, in recap, before we get to our fourth, we're, Satan wants us to question God's instruction. He wants to understate sin's consequences. He wants us to be intrigued by sin's offer. And then fourthly, he wants us to be trapped in sin and shame. Verse seven, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. We're about to celebrate Thanksgiving. You guys are gonna have this like amazing meal. This is what happens. Like whenever we host, this always happens, but it'll be especially at Thanksgiving because you'll, you'll eat too much. Sin of gluttony, plug there. But you'll get done and I want you to go do the dishes. And I want you to go to the dishes for this very particular reason. When you do the dishes, you will have to touch that which you just ate. And there is something that happens. I don't know if it's mental, physical, supernatural, or all of the above, but as you're washing the dishes, you're gonna be like, oh gosh, these yams, ah, I hate turkey. Oh man, my aunt's stuffing with that gnarly onions in there. And you're having to touch it. What's crazy is they're the very things that you were moments later putting into your mouth with such delight, and then seconds later, you're disgusted as you're wiping it off. That's what has happened here in Genesis 3, verse 7. Their eyes were opened after the delight of the sin. Then Satan turns the table. He goes from advocate, like, oh, you're going to love it. It's going to be awesome, to the accuser, like, you filthy, rotten. You think you're a follower of Yahweh? You're disgusting. Look at you. You're naked for crying out loud. Cover yourself. It's exactly what he does to us. And where's Satan now? He's gone. He leaves you trapped in your sin, shame, accusation. The truism here is that the sin you enjoy is the same sin that destroys. What you think in a moment of weakness on a Friday night at midnight when you're all alone, that very thing that you want to find enjoyable will be the very thing moments later that is so destructive to you. And though nothing can break your fellowship with God, there can be hindered fellowship. And your solution for sin will never reveal, re resolve the problem of sin. Your solution for sin, their fig leaves that they stitched together and tried to cover themselves, will never be your solution for sin. You can't good work your way out of it. You can't quick thinking your way out of it. You can't, as I thought, no consequence environment, your way out of it. Because it's a supernatural problem that demands a supernatural answer. And so how do you combat sin and shame? 1 John 1, 7, it says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ, not fig leaves of our own efforts, cleanse us from all sin. So you confess to another, just bring it out into the light with another person. And then secondly, it says in 1 John 1, 9, just a little bit later, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just 
to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. There is a, a cleansing by the washing of the blood of Jesus over your sin and then a cleansing as you're confessing to God of all unrighteousness. And so if you're struggling or just wanna deepen your relationship with God, like if you're like, man, I get it, like I have heard you loud and clear about Satan, temptation, sin, and now shame, I, like I'm there. I am fully convinced my life is proof to it. I wanna invite you to regeneration on Monday night. At 6.30 in this room, about 1,000 people gather to find healing from every sin under the sun, even those they don't even know they're dealing with. They just be like, man, I just wanna go and grow in the Lord this year. And I can't even put my finger on it, but I'm just stuck. And welcome to regeneration every Monday. There's free kids ministry for younger ones. Don't bring your 15-year-old. You wanna see where I was going all along? It's gonna be up on the screen. We've gotta quit falling for Satan's lies by standing on God's truth. So first, Satan wants us to question God's instruction. Third, second, he wants us to understate sin's consequences. Third, he wants to be as intrigued by sin's offering. And fourth, trapped in sin and shame. It spells quit. That we would quit believing Satan's lie. That we would quit taking the bait of temptation. That we would quit thinking sin's offering, that desire becomes greater than our devotion to God. That we would quit efforting by our own willpower to get unstuck from sin. You remember that AA meeting that I walked into? I've never felt more shame in my life, ever. And yet there were no amount of AA meetings that could have ever got rid of that shame. No amount of me even quitting drinking that would have got rid of that shame. I can now stand on a stage and tell a few thousand of my closest friends about alcoholism and not because I quit drinking. None of those things could be the fig leaves to remove my shame. Jesus alone removes shame. Jesus alone, and why? Because he offers the covering, not one that wastes away as a fig leaf, but he offers the eternal covering of his own blood, the very blood of Jesus shed for you as a covering for all of your shame and sin. And not only that, he doesn't just cover you with his blood, but with his righteousness. He covers you, your unrighteousness, with his righteousness, and beyond that, on an ongoing basis, he covers you with prayer. It says he always lives to intercede for us. He is covering you, covering your sin, covering your shame, covering your regret, covering your remorse in prayer, that you can come out of hiding and be in right relationship with the Father through the Son, be made new, regeneration by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a lyric that you're about to sing, and it says, when Satan tempts me to despair. In fact, go ahead and stand up. Listen to these lyrics. When Satan tempts me to despair, and tells me of the guilt within. And he's right, there's guilt. Upward I look and see him there. 
Jesus, who made an end to all my sin. 